0: Well, good morning, Five Stones Church. I want to welcome you to our service. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go through 1 Samuel chapter 21 and a little bit touching on 22 as well. But really, I'm going to focus everything onto 1 Samuel 21. And what we're going through right now is our series called The Life of David. Now for me, growing up in a church setting, David was always, the the story of David and Goliath is always one of my favorite stories. Because what little boy wouldn't like that story? It's about a boy that defeats a giant, right? It's, it's, it, it puts you in a place where you're, as a boy, you're just like, if he could do it, I can do it. It instills courage. It instills um, this, this hope that you have that I could conquer anything, just like David did, if i just come alongside God. And so the story of David and Goliath was a very real story for me. It was my favorite Bible story. Um, it's a boy, a giant, and it's a boy killing a giant. Like, what, what better story could there be for little boys? It is one of those stories that really stuck with me. And really, I didn't really care much about the rest of David's story. That was my, that was my David as a child. Well, as we continue on, we actually are going to examine the rest of David's life. Last week, in both Pastor Rich's sermon on Sunday and his Wednesday night sermon, he emphasized the importance of friendship and the importance of needing each other and being in community with each other. It is without a doubt that in these days, it's been hard. That in living through a pandemic, our lives have been changed. We feel stretched and burdened, and some things feel like a trial of sorts. That the inability to actually connect with each other at a real face level, even though there's Zoom and there's all these great little technology things, to actually see each other one-on-one, to go out for coffee, to, to sit in each other's home, to enjoy a meal together, those things are taken away from us. So we, as we continue, we're going to continue to look through some of the trials that David has to go through. It may, it may seem different from the trials that we're facing today, but nonetheless, they are trials. As much as David's reputation is always spoken as one that has favor with God, a spiritual giant that, he is, that David was his righteous king. Yet throughout David's life, he has made so Many mistakes. He had a great start. He defeated a giant. Great start, won favor with the king, and then the mistakes began to happen. There are moments for David where he was a little bit of a coward. A moment where he lusted. A moment where he covets. A moment where he's an ad- uh, idolater. Where and a moment where he's an adulterer. There's even a moment where he's a murderer yet how did someone who have done so much wrong be used and loved and protected by god see the person of david teaches us a posture that we need to take and that god's grace comes with this posture throughout all of david's life no matter how much he fell the one constant in his life was his was his faith that it is in the relationship that he had with God that always defined him did david ever question god absolutely did he ever come to a place where he felt like god was distant yes david in fact has written many many psalms on where he asks where are you god he was lamenting. There's places where he's like, God, I feel like you've turned your back on me. Yet the one thing that David always comes back to is he declares the promises of God over his own life to bring him back to that place of I trust you and my faith is now put in you. This is what David had. This is the faith that he had. This is the trust that he had with God. So the reason why God favored David David wasn't because he led a great life. He made great, he was righteous in all that he did. I mean, we see David has made a lot of mistakes, and today as we, as we study Samuel 21, we see that some of the trials that he's gone through and the mistakes that he's made, God still came to a place of, I'm going to use you, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to protect you, and it's because of your faithfulness to me. And the reason why David was so faithful is what we're going to go through today. So, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 21. And I'm going to pray here and we're going to get, dive into it. So, Father God, we just come before you. And as we look into your scripture, as we look into the life of David, Lord, Father God, may you send your spirit to encourage us that as we look at the life of David and the posture that he takes, that we come to that same place of understanding what David understood. So Father God, may you take this word and through your spirit, may you challenge the way that we live. Encourage us in our hearts and continue to provide for us in ways that we may not understand and we may not see yet, but to trust that you are always there for us. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel 21, it says this, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such a, for, and such a place. So, that as we continue the story from last week, David is now on the run from Saul. Jonathan, his best friend, warns him that his father is out to kill him. And so David then now is running away, and he's hunted by Saul. So David flees to the city of of Nob. This is the city of priests. This is also the hometown of Saul. This is a place of worship. It is a place to find help in this place of refuge and before david goes and embarks on every mission he always comes to nob to get to inquire of the lord so he always comes to ahimelech and say can you inquire of the lord with me before i go on to the mission so this is not something that is weird but what i love about this is that david no matter where he is the first place that he goes to is he goes to the high priest where do you go to when you face challenges in your life Do you try to sort it out on your own, or do you go to the ultimate high priest that is found in the person of Jesus? David knew that, I'm on the run. I don't know what's going on. I'm going through a trial right now. People are hunting me. Someone's coming after me. He's not just running and hiding. Yes, he's running and hiding, but where does he run and hide to first? He runs and... He runs towards God. He runs towards the high priest. He seeks out refuge in the person of who God is because why? He knows that that is where he needs to lay his foundation in everything that he does. So David goes to Nob, and he, he goes, and Ahimelech is startled. Why is he startled? Why is he, why is he afraid? Ahimelech knows who David is. He's startled because David came by himself. Now, this is a weird thing because David, at this point, he is the son-in-law of Saul. He married his, his daughter, Michael, and he's also one of the commanders of Saul's army. So David always has an entourage around him, no matter if he's leading hundreds or if he's leading ten. He always has a group of men that is with him, that is his entourage, that always is around him because he is a high commander. And so Ahimelech sees David and he's by himself. He's like, why are you alone? There's no reason for you to be alone. And why are you coming to me by yourself? So first thing, he doesn't expect him. Second thing is like, David is alone. Something is weird. Something is off. But David assures him, he's like, oh, my men, I'm meeting my men. I'm on a secret mission from Saul. And I'm meeting my men in another place. And so Ahimelech is like, okay, I believe you. And David, essentially what he's doing is he's lying because he's on the run. Now, we don't know why David is lying. David might be lying to Ahimelech because he wants to protect Ahimelech. He doesn't want Ahimelech to know what's happening because he doesn't want Ahimelech to get in trouble for knowing too much. Or, or, or maybe David is just fearful and he's lying to protect his own life. We don't really know the reason that David decides to lie to Ahimelech, but that's what he does. And in this place that he lies, there was a cost to it, and that we're going to see that in chapter 22. That this is a way where David did not have his feet founded found on solid ground, but he, it was set in clay. That David made a bad choice here. Not, because he, not only because he lied, but because his lie jeopardizes an entire city. If we continue reading, it says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go into an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which was removed from the before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day and it is taken away. So David goes and he he he's just like I I need food. So David literally is running away from from Saul with nothing. He runs with nothing but the the clothes on his back and he's just like actually I need food. I need sustenance. And at the temple there is no just common bread. There's this holy bread which is placed there every single day. And it's 12 loaves of bread that is placed in the tabernacle as to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, in Leviticus, it it tells us what the purpose of this, this bread represents. And it represents the provisions of God that God will always provide for us. And so those 12 breads were made specifically for God. And the only people that could eat those bread is the priests that work in the temple. Because they are set they set themselves apart. And so they're holy, and so therefore they are the ones who prepare it. They're the ones that take it away and bring new bread every single day. And those that bread also is the sustenance for the priests that work there. And so the priests eat that bread, and only the priests are allowed to eat that bread. And so the priest looks at David, and he sees the need of David, and he's like, I only have holy bread, but you guys need to keep yourself holy. Now he's not saying that when he says you need to, keep yourselves from women it doesn't mean that oh you guys need to completely be be celibate because a lot of the soldiers even David himself was married but the the culture of the soldiers back in the day was there was a lot of fornication that happened when they were on their journeys and there's a lot of adultery that was happening and so therefore they weren't in that in that place of holiness and so what what the priest was asking David wasn't like oh have you uh, Have you kept yourself from women? Meaning, have you kept yourself pure? The pure relationship between a husband and wife is not what the priest is talking about. He's talking about your soldiers, are they doing all of these other things? Because they need to keep themselves pure if they're going to eat this bread. Now David, of course, he's actually not meeting with any other people. He's actually just running away. So David continues his life. He's like, yeah, they, they, they're, they're good. We, we, we keep ourselves holy even just for a normal journey. And this is a special mission. Of course we're going to do this. So David, so ah- Ahimelech sees the, the, the need in David. And Ahimelech gives the bread to David. Now, this act that Ahimelech did is referenced by Jesus. That in showing mercy over sacrifice, Jesus says, "I desire mercy and not sacrifice." That in the moment when Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field on a Sabbath, the Pharisees confront Jesus and his disciples because his disciples they were hungry, so they're picking the heads of the grain and they're eating it. And the Pharisees like, "How are your how are your disciple How are you allowing your disciples to eat this grain? It's on Sabbath. Remember, for for the." for the Jewish people, you cannot do anything on the Sabbath, right? Absolutely nothing. You need to prepare on the day before so that on the Sabbath, you don't have to do anything. So to pick grains off the head of on on a Sabbath is work. They consider that work. And so the, the Pharisees came and said, how could, how dare you let your disciples do this? And Jesus answers by saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he references this story of Ahimelech, the high priest, giving the bread to David because he sees that David had a need. So he gave. He was merciful to David and broke the religious laws in that sense to give the bread over. And so Jesus is saying that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Not saying that the religious aspects are 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 not important but that mercy and grace comes first in the gospel that mercy and grace trumps religion now we get to this place verse 7 it says now a certain man of the servant of saul was there that day detained from the lord his name was doeg then adamite the chief of saul's herdsmen now this character Doeg, like we're we're talking about the so, imagine this scene taking place in a movie. Doeg, essentially, is a spy, and a ba- and a, he's the bad guy of our story. It's like if you're watching a movie and you see this conversation between Ahimelech and David, and then all of a sudden in the background they zoom into Doeg, who's standing there all sinister looking, and he's like tapping his fingers. He's like the bad guy. I mean, come on, his name is Doeg. That's a bad guy's name. Who names our kid Doeg? D-O-E-G. You know he's bad. Like everything about him screams I'm a bad guy. So we break away from this this scene and, and it introduces this character Doeg and we will see why this guy is important. And we'll come right back to him. We're gonna finish this part first. Then David said to Himelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword on hand? For I have brought neither my sword or my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said to him, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. David asked for a weapon, and he's like, this is the temple, there's no weapon, but we do have Goliath, who you slayed, who you killed. We have his sword, and it is here in the temple as kind of like a trophy of you slain this, and you won this battle for us. So we have this sword, you could have it. So David takes it as his weapon, because literally he ran away with nothing. Now before we move on to the next part of the story of David continuing to run away. I want to come back to that character of Doeg because this is the result of David's lie and his interaction with Ahimelech. What happens to, to Ahimelech we find in chapter 22 and we find kind of the result and the consequence of his actions. The lie results basically in the death of Ahimelech but not just Ahimelech; all the priests and all the people in Nob were also killed. We come to this place where Saul is angry; he's frustrated. He's saying, "I need to find this this man," and so he gets word, and the, the word is, "We we found David," and he's he's there, and he he calls and. He calls to everybody. He's just like, why is everybody withholding this information from me? And so Doeg, this bad guy that was at the temple with Ahimelech and, and David, comes up to Saul. He's the chief herdsman, so he's not just some random guy. He's actually a guy with a position in Saul's, in Saul's kind of entourage. And he's like, I saw David at the temple conspiring With Ahimelech, and so Saul is angry, and he's like, "Bring this man to me, bring Ahimelech to me." So he calls for Ahimelech. Ahimelech comes, and Saul basically reams him out. He's like, "Why? You guys knew that Jonathan was conspiring with David, yet nobody told me, and now you are you are conspiring with David." And how dare you commit this treason against me? Because Ahimelech served as a high priest for the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. This is all under Saul's rule. So he's like, what you're doing is you're committing treason because you are going against me and going with David. And Ahimelech, because he did not know what he did with David, he said that David, he's your son-in-law, he's trusted in your courts. And David always comes to me before any mission he goes to. He always comes to me to inquire what the Lord wants him to do. So, this is not out of the ordinary that David came to me, so I don't know what you're talking about. David told me that there's a mission and that he's on a mission for you. And so, what are you talking about? And Saul gets so angry and he tells the guards that are around him, he's just like, I want you to kill this man. But the guards are like, "Uh, I'm not going to kill a priest. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do it. And so they don't actually raise their swords against Ahimelech. So Saul looks at Doeg and says, you do it. And so Doeg goes and he kills Ahimelech and he kills 85 other priests. that Where is the ephod? And then they go into Nob and they kill everybody, all men, all women, all children, and it includes all ox, all donkeys, and all sheep. They basically go into the city of Nob and they annihilate the entire city. There's a few people that were able to escape and one being a him like son that is able to come and give that report to David. And when David hears that his heart is broken, in so many ways, as we tell the story of, of, of David and as First Samuel narrates David, for us to get a, a glimpse of David's heart and the emotions, we read Psalms. Psalms 35 talks about this very moment of David running away. He, he, he goes through kind of the confusion and the, the hurt and the why are, why is Saul hunting me and he goes through the mourning of his friends dying and if you read through Psalm 35 he goes through all of these emotions that happen that 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 take place and thir- Psalm 35 was written in this time period where David is fleeing from Saul. And so in that we see that David hears this message and he he mourns for his friends. And he realizes that the, the choices that I've made affected my friends. The choices that I've made ended not just the life of a friend, but the life of an entire village. How heavy do you think that weight on David? That sometimes by withholding information, by, by lying, by doing something where we think we're doing the right thing, without truth... There's always a consequence. David lied to Ahimelech, and what happened costed the life of Ahimelech. David knew that what he did or what he thought he did was to protect himself or to protect Ahimelech. But what I love about the Bible, it never hides the mistake of men. That there's no real hero out there. The only hero in the Bible is a person of Jesus. Jesus. So let's continue on to Gath here. So David rose and he fled that day from Saul, verse 10, and went to Achish, the the king of Gath. And the servant of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousand and David, his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and and was much afraid of Achish, the son of Gath. So David runs to the Philistines. Gath is the capital city of the Philistines. And at this point, David not only has not, is, is fleeing, and strategically, it seems like it's a good idea. If you're running away from Saul, you know that his enemy is the Philistines. To hide in the capital city is probably a good idea, right? Like, Saul will never look for me there. So that's why he chose to run to Gath. But the thing that David forget, forgot is that he was a commander for Saul. Not only was he a commander for Saul, that Goliath is also from Gath. And he's carrying Goliath's sword. And so he gets to Gath seeking for refuge, seeking for, for a place to hide, and then realizes that people recognize him. They see his face, they're just like, hey, this is this is David. He killed our champion. But not only did he kill our champion, he's won many, many, many battles against us. And he's killed many of our people. That Saul killed his thousand, but this guy killed 10,000. He's famous in Philistine. He is famous. And so they go, they capture David and they're just like, hey, King Achish, this is, look who we got here. And so David, his plan wasn't panning out. And actually, if we read Psalms 34 and 56, talk about David's emotion as he is captured in Gath. And if you read Psalms 34, in the, in the title it says that as he was captured by Abimelech, not Ahimelech, Abimelech. And Abimelech, why is it his name Abimelech when in the Bible it says his name is Achish? Abimelech is a title. It's like Pharaoh. It's like Caesar. It's... it's, it's Abimelech is the title of the king of the Philistines. And so, so when you read the Bible and you see that, it's just like, oh, there's a Himelech, there's a there's Come on, be more creative with your names, people. But Abimelech is the title of the king of Philistine, And so his name is Achish, but he is Achish the Abimelech. You, you understand what that means? Okay, so if you read it, you, could, you, you, you sense David was in this place of, oh, no, I did something wrong. I ran to the wrong place. I am recognized. They've captured me. I don't know what to do. And so what does David do in this moment? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a sticky situation where your past kind of catches up with you? Right? Where it's kind of like you run into somebody where you're just like, ah, oh, Hi. It's awkward because you're just like, either you've wronged them or they've wronged you or there's, there's some kind of awkwardness there. And that, that past that you're, you're trying to forget kind of catches up to you. I mean, I've, I've, I've run into that a couple times even as I moved here. I'm like, I don't even live in my home city anymore. And I've run into people where I was like, oh, this is awkward. It's that moment for David where like his, his past has caught up. And he's like, oh, this isn't good. Now he's, he's taken in by Achish's men, and men is like, what do we do with him? We have this guy. We have David, the one that killed Goliath, the one that's won so many battles against you. What do we do? So King Akish comes, and this is how exactly... What David was, was thinking He's like, I need to get out of this situation. I need to run away. So what do I need to do now? So David, in verse 13, he says, So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door and the gates and his, let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servant, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? shall this fellow come into my house? So this is how David escapes. He pretends to be crazy. He pretends to be crazy. Now this this actually makes sense because it's like no sane man would actually walk into the capital of my enemy, right? He's crazy, and now he's drooling, and he's marking, he's making marks on the door, and he's crazy, And so Achish is like, this man is crazy. Why are you bringing him to me? And so here's the thing, is that they will never kill a crazy man. That's part of the culture, that they will never kill a bad man. And Achish actually is like, look, I have enough crazy people in my own city. Don't bring me another one. Send him out. Right, so David knew that they will never kill him because if he acts crazy, they'll never kill him. They'll just send him on his way. So he comes into that place of, of I'm going to be crazy. Is this a coward's way out? No, there's wisdom in this. And as we read, if you read through Psalms 56 and Psalms 34, it is in this moment that David knows his foundation. He knows I'm in a sticky situation now. Where do I go to? I go to God. And so if you read Psalms 56 and Psalms Thirty-four. it talks about this aspect of him going to his foundation of worship. And in Psalms 34, 8, we actually find the famous passage of, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David goes into full worship in his time when he's captured by the king, and he's trying to figure out what to do. He goes into an aspect of full worship unto the Lord, and he's saying, taste and see that the Lord is good, this foundation of worship, of taste and see, is not just to know that God is there for me, but it's to taste and see it. I've this, I've told you this many times. I love jelly donuts, right? Especially Lee's jelly donuts from Granville Island. They have the perfect brioche bun, and they fill it with the perfect amount of jelly, and they sprinkle it with this... this Sugar. And when you bite into this jelly donut, it is the perfect kind of just sensory, textural heaven that you could experience. That is tasting and seeing. I don't just see the donut, but I taste it. I am involved in it, I am immersed in this jelly donut. And that's what David is saying, that worship is coming from this place of I taste and I see God, that I am immersed in my worship with God, that I am involved, that I don't don't just believe and know that God is there for me, but that I taste and see that God is there for me. And that when I taste and see it, I know that God is good, right? I know that Lee's Donuts is good because I've tasted it. David knows that God is good because he tastes and sees. This is his worship. This is his foundation of all that he comes through. Everything that comes out of David is out of this pure moment of tasting and seeing God. He goes into full worship. And I love that, that that David knows that God is good, that he's got his back, that he's always faithful. And it's only in God's faithfulness to us that builds our faith. I love that David goes into full worship mode. This is what we need to do when we're stuck in a rut. Not to panic, but to worship to remember that God is good to taste and see. Psalms 56 highlights David's trust and he puts it out there and and, and say that God these these guys are going to kill me. But I trust you and I'm not afraid. You've saved me before so I continue to trust you in this. So Psalms 56 talks about David's trust in him. Psalms 34 highlights his worship and it's in these passages that intersect, we find this this story that's found in Psalms 21 of, of how by acting crazy it's God's grace upon David to rescue him from a situation. You see, God's goodness will always be there. It may not always be the most glamorous, but his protection will always be there. This highlights the faith of David. Yes, He's made some bad decisions. It shows you his humanity and the realness of his stupidity and the decisions as we make as people. But in it, faith comes out on top all the time. Elizabeth Elliot was once asked a question. How did she become such a woman of faith? In sensing that the question was looking for a quick fix or a magic pill to faith, she responded with this. Well, you could have your husband killed by a hostile Indian tribe in Ecuador and then live among these, these people. You could raise a child as a widow, marry a second time and become a widow a second time and deal with dozens of other challenges of life. And then maybe you too can have great faith. What Elizabeth was saying was, was that tough faith comes out of tough times. That God uses tough times to strengthen us, to teach us to depend on him. It is about carrying the cross before wearing our crown. That God is more interested in our heart relationship of dependence on him. See, David faced many trials throughout his life and we're going to continue to look at some trials next week. But through all of those trials, David's heart and posture was always one after God. This is what sustained him. This is what helped him through it. The reason why God found favor in David wasn't that he was perfect and that he always made the right choices, but that he was faithful and he was worshipful. David sums up this experience so well in Psalms 35. It says this, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy. And be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. David's trial teaches us of the posture that we need to take. Because when we come through the trial, our worship speaks of God's righteousness in our lives. And it bears witness of who he is and what he continues to do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this encouragement of coming to a place of worship, that even in the times where we feel like, this is tough, this is hard, you give us an answer in the form of your faithfulness to us. That in the trials that we face, that your faithfulness comes to us and we need to take that same posture that David take of worship unto you. So Father God, may you continue to teach us and encourage us through the life of David. May you show us that even through trials, even through the mistakes that we make in life, that the grace that you have upon us, that, you're, that the mercy that you have upon our lives and the posture that we need to take is a posture of worship knowing that you are king you are lord in our lives so father god as we continue to go through this pandemic lord may you remind us that this is how we need to be and that this is who you are remind us of your character your faithfulness your strength your power and your lordship in our lives so lord we thank you and we pray all this in jesus name amen Thank you for tuning in, you guys. We will continue our series in the life of David next week, and Eugene is going to be preaching to us, and we will see you guys next week.